Welcome to the Human Being Unleashed podcast, where we redefine, realign, and reimagine what it means to be human so that you can live a life with the health, wealth, and relationships that are inherently yours. We have a episode for you today. Let me say one more time. Oh, do we have an episode for you today? I am very, very, very happy to bring to you this conversation because this woman that I am about to bring to you guys is, I have, I mean, I have grown such a strong respect, admiration, and love for this woman with every ounce of my being. She has become a really great friend very quickly. And, you know, it's just, I am just excited to bring to you guys Bijal Patel today. She is the founder of Launch, which is a world-class business and brand strategist. She has been the go-to expert for established digital business owners who want to scale their next level of success. I mean, she's won innumerable rewards. She has been known as Houston's power woman. She's helped an incredible range of clientele and industries, including Fortune 500 companies and her absolute fave established online business owners. And I know there's a lot of us here. She has spoken around the world to established online business owners who help them create their own passionate and ultra successful business. She does this through branding and coaching, but she brings a new level of what branding really means. Now, this conversation really has nothing to do with branding at all. Literally, this conversation is not about branding This conversation, I want you to pay attention to her story as you see these hints of golden nuggets, especially around how intuition makes itself known during very trying times. If you pay attention to her story, you will notice that during some very trial, some very turbulent times for her in her life, she was able to access this deep state of calm. And in that state of calm, clear decisions were made and Really, just like the title says, how little intuitive hunches can take you a long, long way. So sit back, kick your feet up, or if you're driving, do not kick your feet up because you need to have your feet on the freaking pedals. Either way, all I need you to do is sit back and look for those golden nuggets. And trust me when I say they are all through this conversation. I believe one of the truest ways to unleash your potential and unlock a lot of abilities that you didn't know you had is through business. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can imagine as long as you've been in business, it is probably one of the most easiest ways to personally grow yourself. Right. And I believe just by watching you from the outside (laughs) and knowing you for the short, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things that I've known you. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. watching that has been very, very interesting. So with that being said, I remember when I first met you, there was just an energy about you. So a little backstory around me and Bijou. When I first met her, I was inside (laughs) of the Traffic and Funnels Mastermind. And there was a September day, I mean, a September day, an office day in November. And I remember being so scared shitless on my way there because I was (laughs) one, I was by myself. Number two, this was my first time being around other entrepreneurs who were, you know, doing well, but you had, I remember me, I remember when me and you first engaged in the conversation, it was in between, um, you know, in between one of the talks, Mm -hmm. whenever we started talking, I realized, okay, number one, this woman is really easy to talk to. I'm like, she's very welcoming. And I remember that I was like, okay, she made me very comfortable. And you were just kind of interested in talking to me, which, you know, helped me feel a lot more comfortable in that situation. Um, and not only that, I was impressed by the way you just like carried yourself. So in the way you asked questions, because you were not shy with asking questions that day, too. <laughs> and that, I think that was one of the first reasons I saw her. I was like, man, she's really expressive. And then just to see everything that's happened over your I mean, over the last year has been interesting. So let's start here, Bijou. I typically like people to go into their story a little bit. But first off, how long have you been into entrepreneurship? Have you been running a business or just in the entrepreneur space? 
three years, just three years, years. just three years. Yeah. It feels faster. Yeah. I can imagine. Now, before that three years, I know you were doing something that was actually kind of, I mean, that that was like um, related to the first business you started. And I know your business has basically evolved since you first started it. So what were you doing, let's say five to 10 years ago? So that is a great question. I just want to say thank you for having me on the show, Adrian. Like, uh, again, uh, the energy that you give out, I must have felt it before because just to take a slightly back to where we first met, your presence in the room was very commanding in a bright and fun and energizing and like, let's all do this together and let's be better and let's do things better. So I just want to compliment you that you stood out as like a young stud. And so me being interested in speaking to you after was a hundred percent intentional. So I love that. Well, thank you so much. And another thing, you know, when it comes to just unleashing all of this, you know, potential and all of that, every time I talk to this woman, I swear I have a new idea. I get (laughs) lit up. I make more money. And like just like by talking to her. So I'm just happy to have her on here today. So yeah, go ahead now. Thank you. Thanks for that. So five, five to 10 years ago, Adrian, the picture was totally different. Always have been a very passionate person. I think since I was three years old, But five or 10 years ago, I was actually just in the middle of corporate America and (laughs) was in the middle of corporate America and doing a commercial interior design job, which I had become passionate about corporate interior design. But when it came to year after year being in the industry, I was grueling it at work. I was working 50 to 70 hours a week easily. I was barely making like $50,000 of salary. And what I had been sold, what I had been sold into is the artist's dream. Come work at the number one architecture firm in the world, but we're not going to pay you anything for it, which is very much the creative entrepreneur and a creative person struggle. So you can Uh. work on the best projects in the world, even fortune 500 companies. I was literally helping design their headquarters. Okay. So that's what you did. You would design offices and stuff like that offices hotels i've done spas i've like won all of these major awards knock on wood and not to like toot my own horn but you can see how committed and how passionate i was to that career Mm -hmm. okay now now i'm curious as to like you said that was a big problem for artists right so is that the problem that initially started to get you thinking you know, I can do something on my own? Or at what point did you start to ha- ponder that thought of, I can maybe do something on my own instead? Well, it, it was really easy when I got fired abruptly from oh, my last job. Okay. So it was like that. It, it's, it snapped in real quick once my employment was revoked. And, you know, that happened all of a sudden. Wait, real quick, real ha- quick. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but can I ask why you got fired? I'm about to go into that because okay, that's, all right, that all right, is the story. And that is why I'm out here. That's why I want to reach your audience and inspire them that like, don't ever like take this as like a knockdown to you because it's really a call up. And so yeah. what happened is, you know, I was a young mom. I had already had one child, had entered into this company, had been working there, Adrian, for a year and a half. Literally, my boss was like, I was going to bring champagne to your performance review. And by the way, you're getting an amazing raise. You are the lead interior designer. You are amazing. You're that leader that we've wanted. The strategic hire we did with you, we couldn't be happier. And I was like, great. By the way, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh, okay. And things kind of changed after that because they were, I think, hoping I was a one and done sort of situation. So when I let them know I was having a second child and then I went on maternity break and they wanted me back in three months and I told them that this is my last child and I really want to enjoy like while he's a baby because I'm not going to have another baby again and I don't want to be rushed back into work. So I asked for a six month maternity leave and they pushed back on me, Adrian, and said, well, we're really short staffed. And I pushed back then because I was finding my boundaries. I was finding my voice and I said, you've always been short staffed. That's not a me problem. That's a you problem. And so when I came back and I was doing all of the things in motherhood, which is like I was breastfeeding my child like I did the first one, 
I was pumping milk and they started to slowly and surely, I felt the tides turn after I won a very prominent design award that my boss was not on the project for. And he refused to come to the ceremony. He said, Bijal, you got this. You're fine. Oh, by the way, congratulations. And I felt that saltiness in the back of my throat. And after that, I kid you not, he would criticize my work differently. He wouldn't support me in meetings. And one day out of the blue, I get pulled into a conference room abruptly with another vice president. And I've got the same boss who's been a good friend, a mentor to me, who has been treating me like his number one person, sits me down and says, Bijal, we really appreciate you for all of your talents and passions, but like, you're not a, a good fit here. And literally hits me like a ton of bricks. Like I still remember how I felt in that moment. And I asked them, I was like, really? Because that's not what, that's not what you've been saying the last two years, what changed? And they're like, well, you know, you've been showing up to work inconsistently. And, and I was like, yeah, well, I'm breastfeeding my child. I go and I go, and that wasn't a problem a year ago because you know, I'm a working mom to two kids and you know, I stay late and work way more than my 40 required hours. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and I also just helped you win that $25 million downtown tower renovation project that you were dying to win. And they're like, and we really appreciate you for spearheading that, but we just think your talents are better served in another company. And they're like, we understand if you're really upset, we'll get your stuff packed up. Most people really are, and we'll get it sent over tomorrow. So I just... You know what I noticed, Adrian, in that moment to get deep? Can I get deep yeah, with you? Yeah, go ahead. Get us deep. Yeah, let's go, let's go deep. Okay. So I had been an overachiever, you know, your typical like immigrant kid. Like I wanted, if I got an A, I wanted an A plus. If I brought home a hundred on a math quiz, my dad was like, well, why didn't you get the hundred and two? Like a really focused on like doing well, hard work or achievement oriented type of value system. And in that moment, when the failure had hit me and I was like, this is like one of the major things I've failed at in my life. I could never imagine have gotten getting fired from a job. What hit me right after that moment is peace. I felt an enormous wave of peace and tranquility just roll right over my body. And I'm telling you, a spirit bigger than mine told me at that time from the inside, B, you're going to be okay. You're actually about to live your best life. Go get your stuff, girl. It is time for you to play much bigger things the way that you were meant to show up in this life. And that piece, and I actually smiled while I was in the office by myself, went back over to my desk, grabbed my stuff like I was like Angela Bassett and was like, grabbed my things, half of my stuff was in the box anyway. And I just pieced out. I was like, just threw up a piece in my, in my sign, in, in my cubicle, took my things in one go and walked right out the door and I never looked back. Uh-huh. So there was a strong level of positive expectation and resolve when you left that spot. Yes. And, and gratefulness. Something hit me that I wasn't mentally consciously, I wasn't consciously thanking them at that seat. No way. But subconsciously or unconsciously, I was thanking them thank you for cutting this cord so that I didn't have to be the one to leave because I would have been too afraid. Mm, Yeah. You know, I, and I like that. I think it's funny that um, we go through really tough experiences, especially as entrepreneurs, because when you're not, I mean, we all have highs and lows, but when you're an entrepreneur, the highs are higher, the lows are lower and you go below and people say there's a rock bottom. You can't get any lower. Come an entrepreneur. You'll get lower than that. And, um, a lot of times we go through experiences where we were convinced that, oh, shit, life's over. And then five years down the line, you look back at the experience and you're like, oh, my God, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. So it's like, what if we just went into every shitty experience like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but this may be the best freaking thing that can happen to me. So I just <laughs> want to throw that in there. But I, you said something that you kind of lightly went over it. And I think we should go back even more and before we dive into uh, your entrepreneur journey. Mm-hmm. You said that your parents were immigrants and all of that. So what was your childhood like growing up in America? 
Yeah, great question. So my parents, uh, they immigrated here from India uh, when my parents were 25 and 30 years old when they came over. And so they did, my mom didn't even speak English. My dad did. Um, at that time, they had, um, like he had come here with an engineering degree, but couldn't get hired doing that. Mm-hmm. Like back in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, they weren't as into diversity and inclusion. And um. so he ended up um, buying a motel in Indiana uh, through the help of the other Indian community members. And we lived that life for like seven years. That motel did very well. And then my dad had oh, so he bought a motel to run. Yep. They bought a motel to run. Okay, so you had an entrepreneur spirit there. I like Oh, yeah. So there's a thing, actually. It's called Patel. It's called Hotel Motels Patels. And it's a whole thing across. Hotel Patels. Yes. It's a whole thing across America. More. Did you know, did you know, Adrian, that more than 50% of motel or hotel owners in America are Indian? No, I didn't. More than 50%. mm, That's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like a lot of Asians and dry cleaners. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. Nail salon. It's like a community comes over, they get a footing in a type of business and an industry. And then those people then support other oh, immigrants. Who that over. makes sense. And now that you said that, I have a really good friend who's one of my very first fitness clients. His dad, I remember he was always a wealthy kid in high school. Everybody knew him for like always having the nicest things. But his dad owned a bunch of hotels and they were of Indian, Indian, a full-blooded Indian. So yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Right. So my parents came here, you know, to go back to that moment, they came here with $8. So you immigrated here in like the seventies or eighties, there was a restriction on how much money you could bring over. Well, after that first endeavor, when they, when we decided to move because of my dad's back problems and it was just too cold and it was just uncomfortable, we went to Florida with just some money in the bank and a dream. And my parents ended up unemployed for four years. We lived off that money looking for a business. Wow, for four years. Four years, we lived in this like ghetto-ish apartment. Like I would walk to school and like literally some of the kids on the, like 98% of the school was on paid or reduced paid lunch. Um, one day we woke up in the morning and we were looking for our car and it got stolen and it wasn't there. And I remember distinctly, Adrian, I was riding the bus to school and a kid on the bus, I was in third grade, meaning I was eight years old, told me, Hey, by the way, I know who stole your dad's Chrysler, you know, New York, you know, fifth Avenue. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the champagne colored car. Right. And I was like, yeah, he's like, oh yeah. My cousin's people took it. They want to hack it up in a shop. And so anyways, was in Florida. Yeah. Where, where at in Florida did you live? I'm curious. Fort, Fort Myers, Florida. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. But you know, in any, in any great city, you go There's over always like going to have their, yeah. 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 So it was one of those situations. They didn't know what type of place we were living. They didn't know what type of elementary school we were going to, yeah. but like we literally got our car stolen. So from that point onward, we then, you know, bought a Julia, an orange Julius. And we had this smoothie store in the mall, but like, To put it simply, we never did that well. We did very average. We didn't do like the other Indian Americans had done, which was just like blow it up and become millionaires. It seemed like overnight. Mm. And my parents were making very little for me and my brother, but they always supported us in our education, traveling as a family, making sure we got exposure as kids. And also always pushing us to be like, you know, we want you to end up in going to good high schools, good colleges. So that you can end up better than we ever started. It was really that that great American dream. Like that's what they were hoping that it they feel like it kind of skipped them and they were hoping to install it into our generation. Uh, so education was a big focus for you. It was. It and was. so growing up, were you um how was your attitude? Because I'm just interested about entrepreneurs' attitude towards schooling because they typically have a pattern and some vary, but what was your attitude towards schooling and how did you do in school? Well, I mean, I know there's like, uh, there's kind of a whole thought process of entrepreneurs to like reject college or not believe in university. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, there was a huge pattern of that. And I'll, I that will me. say, yeah, that was you. Yeah. And it's, it's very yeah. common. And what I will say is I was really influenced by my parents' Asian upbringing. And so if you look at countries like China and India and like Japan and Korea and 
you're going to find that there's a very heavily influenced by education. Yeah. And so my thinking was completely warped by that. And so I was always in the gifted classes, doing after school activities. So I did really well in school. Um, but my whole thing is my brother was really the genius. Like he got okay. A's in everything. And so created this kind of like kind of insecurity within me that was like a chip on my shoulder that no matter how good I felt like I was doing in my class, that I wasn't outsmarting him like he was the smart kid. So can you imagine getting basically all A's and then still feeling Ew. like you're not smart? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just like a pattern of um, no matter what I do, yeah. it's not enough. Mm, yeah, okay. totally. So, you know, I went to college like I was supposed to. And my dad was like, you can go be a computer scientist and do computer science like your brother, or maybe pharmacy will be good for you. And I was just given a choice. Pick this left-brained career or that left-brained career so that you can make For real, money. just you can't go right. You got to stay no. left. But no, apparently you had clear. a knack for design and artistry. What was that from? Well, that, that was pretty much like suppressed and put aside. And they're like, we didn't come here. This was the statement growing up in my house. We didn't come here with $8 for you to go be a broke artist. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And at that time, Adrian, there were no kids. Like we were the first, we were the second generation here. None of the kids had graduated and none of the kids had any interest in anything arts related. So I felt like the outlier yet again. Yeah. So I had to go through computer science school graduated with that with over like a 3.1 GPA, which like in my household, my parents were like, don't tell anyone about the GPA. I'm like, it's a 3.1. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. That would have been like celebrated like a God in my house. Oh my God. Yeah, well, not, not in my house, not when you have a 4.0 brother. And oh. so I literally went and did computer science for two years at a company and proved I do not like computer science, even though I was great at it, would have made a bajillion dollars being like an attractive female who was extroverted and who could communicate in the land of geeky nerds. Yes, in the tech space. Oh, In God. the tech space, they wanted to make me a business manager. They wanted to get me in front of clients. And, you know, one day in Atlanta, I was driving to my, my job I hated, and I saw a big blue sign saying Savannah College of Art and Design. And I wrote, I just like took the immediate exit, showed up there, and I saw a program for interior design, and I immediately put in my notice, and I quit. Called up my dad, called up my brother and said, I've tried it. I did your way. I hate it. And I'm on my own now. And I'm going to go do what this I was was before to. you even had a sure path or sure like idea of where you wanted to take this design thing. This no, just, no, okay, no, I found no. my thing. This is like lighting me up. So cutting everything else off. Exactly. It was again, you know, kind of tying it back to that experience in that office, like and, you know, I'm speaking to this because, you know, you're talking to 39-year-old Beagle now. And I'm like, damn proud of that. I know some people are afraid of being 40. I'm excited. I'm living like the best yeah. life ever. I'm happier. I'm fulfilled. I'm doing my passions. I'm successful. I'm, 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 and when I fail now, I get up faster. But, you know, what we were talking about then, Adrian, is we were talking about 23-year-old Beagle who decided to abruptly quit her job. And again, it was that same intuition message that got delivered. And the message was coming within me to be like, let's go. It makes no sense for you to quit your high paying salary job to go back to school, but this is your path. And this is what you were meant to do. And we got you covered. And I just went with that belief and I just jumped into it head first. Wow. So regardless of like real world, like, the circumstances, it was still that internal, hey, this is like exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Logically, mm -hmm. though, it didn't make any sense. I find it that so interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting because so many entrepreneurs do the most illogical, <laughs> do the most illogical things in the world. And um, somehow it all ends up working out. So right. you're going into this design thing um, with this, again, with this knowing that it was going to work out. How did that, how did, so that, um, how long was that schooling? And then you're, I'm guessing right after that, you ended up at that job we were just talking about, or is it another? No, that, there's is a windy, it was windy path, but I was uh, okay. two years of schooling. I got my yeah. master's in interior design, got to apply some credits. 
And with the most irony ever, so I had decided I wanted to do corporate office because I was a computer programmer in a building and it was a dreadful, what I would call beige, oh. beige on beige on beige place to work. Oh, and man. I used to joke that like, I could never wear like a beige shirt like I'm wearing today. <laughs> I would just blend it in. And it was so dismal and it wasn't inspiring and it wasn't creative. And it was a horrible place to work in a cubicle. Like you remember that movie office space? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was like that. Yeah, it, it was, it was like that to the T and you had this like 23 year old creative. So you had experience woman. in working in a non-creative space and you exactly. saw the frustration in that. I saw it and I saw people's potential not being pulled out of them. So I had decided I'm going to be a corporate interior designer. I'm going to do corporate office design. I know. Well, last quarter I get enrolled into a hotel suite redesign competition. I don't win. Okay. So like back to the whole, like big brother thing, like feeling like I'm second, I'm second child, a second to him in terms of my GPA and accomplishments. Well, I win second place. So I'm out the 7,500, $7,500 they gave as a stipend for winning first place. Like, do you know how desperately I wanted that when I was a grad student in debt, paying for college and all of the expenses? Mm. Well, I win second place. There's, there's no, there's no reward. There was no a pat on the back. There's a pat on the back. Um, they tell me that you, you lost by just a couple of points. You got inched out. And like a week later, I'm like hyperventilating basically in my professor's office. I'm like, I gave it my all. And I still got inched out by my, my, my co-student Sabrina to win. Like, I just don't know what's wrong. And I didn't know what I did wrong and whatever. And she said these words to me and she said, Hey, Bijal, I just want you to know, just because you didn't win the competition doesn't mean that you lost it all. And I was so upset. I was like, what are you talking about, Lisette? Like, I did lose it all. Like, yeah. I got a pat on the back and they told me not to like patent my design. That was it. It was a handshake of letter. Adrian, I kid you not, 48 hours later, and she must have known something because they had contacted her. I get a call by the company to pull me in. They want to interview me. And I was like, for what? Like, the first place person gets to win a six-month student internship at the company to make the design a reality. Adrian, they bring me in and they're like- That same company. Same company brings me in. I'm like, really? Are they really wanting to make sure I don't patent this design? I go in and they said, listen, we love Sabrina um, and we we really liked her designs, but Bijal, your personality and the way you showed up and the way you connected with all of our vendors and our staff, you are the right fit for our company. You understand us at a deep level. And so what we want to do is we want to offer you a full-time position as creative director here to take the sweet project and eventually make it a whole hotel franchise redesign for the microtel in and suites. And, and we want you to be able to come on with this full-time. No interview process. No, they, it, it wasn't a part they of the just company. saw that that they already saw you. They saw your actual work and was like, that's it. And personality was like, that's it. And they saw how I was working with all of their people behind the scenes. And they were taking notice of that. Oh, they saw the businesswoman in you, not they just saw the designer. The, yeah, they saw the businesswoman. They saw the person who would bring their franchisees together and be able to take them from where we're at to where we want to go, which was this was an economy hotel line. At that time, nobody in the industry was making economy hotels cool like you see now. This was the start. This is what changed the whole industry. But in that moment, I was taken aback and I asked them, I go, well, what about Sabrina? She want an internship and she goes yeah she's gonna work under you um so that way you can have some support and i was like i literally left that office and was like crying happy tears i got the highest salary out of any interior designer that they had ever seen graduate from our program wow yeah yeah oh my god so talk about hotel motels patels in i come redesigning the economy hotel of the future for Microtel with the highest paying salary. My interior design professors were like, wait, nobody's supposed to make money from this profession. And here I was like being trusted by this company to lead the charge. And I will say this, we actually won number one place 
in hotel world competition um, for that prototype redesign we did. And the rest of the industry ended up copying us like motel, motel six and like all of those other. And that was eight. your first project with that. That was company? my first project. Holy shit. Yeah. So super eight mo motel six, all of those companies, you can actually trace back our design. And then Wyndham Hotel Group ended up buying our franchise. And then I was put in charge to like start to overlook some of the other things. And the question they kept asking me is like, how in the world with you having no motel experience, did you end up being able to redesign this and change the industry? And I was like, because I had no motel experience is the exact reason that I was able to do it. But it's more importantly, because of the relationships I formed and now looking back at where what I achieved when I was 25 years old, Adrian, it's because the path was never easy for me. I wasn't the number one kid at school. I wasn't the number one kid at home. I didn't follow the traditional left brain route. I quit abruptly and became the right brained person. I still wasn't, I still wasn't the best designer at school. That was Sabrina. Like I was always inching away from being number one. And that grit is what allowed me to be able to change that motel industry mm. at that level. Yeah, you said something I want to highlight really quickly. And that is because you had no experience. I think that thought alone stops a lot of change makers from making the kind of change they want to make in a certain industry because yeah. they don't have the experience. But when you understand you don't have the experience, you also don't have the baggage of doing things a certain way. True right? That. You don't have the prison of only doing. That's why when I dove into the, the you know, the mindset space, people were like, you're not a licensed hypno. I mean, therapist, you're not a you didn't go to psych school for psychology. You don't you didn't put in all the hours that we didn't understand this. I'm like, I know. And that's why I have a big advantage over you guys. <laughs> I just want people to understand and just like see that part of yeah. visual stories. I think it's very, very interesting. Okay, so you land this amazing opportunity and here you go, you take it by a storm. And is that the company that ended up letting you go or how did you, in, what happened there? Well, that company, that's a whole different story. Oh man, it's, uh, I don't know if you want to go through my whole resume, but they wanted me to move to Persephone, New Jersey. Wyndham Hotel Group bought out Microtel and they wanted me to come be the creative director um, above uh, all of their designers. And they wanted me to go fix Super 8, Motel 6. They wanted me to take all of, you know, they had Hawthorne Suite. So I was in charge of fixing that hotel prototype. And this is where the boy comes in. I tell them I've been dating this dude. He's been in med school this whole time. And he has residency in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to follow him. And I can't move to New Jersey. <laughs> uh, so it just didn't work out. It didn't, it work just out. didn't end up working out. Okay, so yeah. let's fast forward now. Yeah. When did this um, when did this business start for you and what what did it start as compared? Because I, I, I feel like it transitioned in terms of what you do overall now. So let's go and yeah. dive into that. Just, just like your story, which is really funny. I wonder if some of that energy that we have, Adrian, is understanding when you take a dive into business also understanding when it might be time to take a major pivot. So yes, that's one of the things that I've noticed in you. I think that's another reason why I just really connect with you. Yeah, because I've had a handful of people say, Adrian, you make decisions and then you just all of a sudden go all in on them. And you're very impulsive in your decisions, but you're very um, hard headed with changing them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm hard headed with changing them. But when I know it's time to change one, I will abandon ship and go in a certain direction. So I love that about you. And I would, I would actually challenge you there with your choice of words. I have not okay. viewed you as being impulsive in any time I've ever spoken to you. What you are is highly intuitive and intentional. Yes, you're right. You know what? That's a great shift because that is, that is true. Yeah, I, um, at the end of the day, I will logically analyze a lot of things but I will always go with what feels like easy in my body. What feels the best in my body? And I'll go for yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah thank I, you. Love, I love that. And I want to shine a little light on you there is because you are so humble. And that's why people are so attracted to you and why you're so like, you know, quiet about what your genius is. But that is the <laughs> part of it is that, you know, I want people to know that there is a deliberate kind of mechanism at play there. So 
Yeah. So um, when, when I first started out, I decided the dream was going to be corporate interior designer, but on my own terms. So my entire vision, which still lives today, is my vision at launch today, which is the same it was three years ago when we were born, is to empower women, moms, and minorities through wealth creation in their businesses. Ah, so it's far beyond just interior design or... I, I love that. It's it's yeah. you have the mission and what you do evolves in its own way, but the North Star never changes. The North Star never changes. And I think yes. it kind of points back to this like, oh, well, I've done computer science. Like, yes, I have coded. I was the coder. Like I ran code, tested it, JCL SAS. I know Java, I know C++. Oh. Like I know all these weird things that nobody would associate. And then I went to do interior design. So I first started out doing corporate interior design, worked with like a collective of architects and designers. Literally, I started the idea of the company and I got fired in September. Idea of the company was born in October when I learned after doing five interviews with a bunch of 55-year-old males, I was like, you know what? I'm unemployable because every single interview went the same. And they said, we could really see you championing the, our department and our efforts. And something clicked into me where I was like, I could see me championing my own company yeah. and my own department and my own employees and taking everybody together to the moon instead of you having your shoe on my back, which is what was happening up to date. And yeah. that is what cut me loose, Adrian, like, I realized I'm unemployable. There's no way I'm working for another dude so that I can sit here and ride his coattails while he is stepping on my back while I'm doing all of the work to get us there. Mm. And that's After where- After seeing that, that's where you were like, all right, this is it. I was done. So back to that great American dream. And I was like, my parents came here with $8 my mom couldn't even speak English and they made this life for us. And I can't figure it out with all of the skill sets, experience, awards, network, everything I've built so far. And so I just went for it again, scared as crap, didn't believe anybody would pay me, had no idea uh, how I'd get a client. I definitely did not know what a business plan meant. And I still don't think it's that important. And I had no fun. I never have. I've never yeah. had a business plan. Yeah, you don't need I, a business plan. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Hold on, real quick. Um, whenever you started uh, your business, I can imagine. Did your network help you? Like having the it network did. you did was that a big benefit for you? It was. It was. It was something to like. Learn. How did you go about it? Like, what was a practical way of you like going and getting your thing? Well, going? it was like you know, one of the other people that I had worked with was an architect, and she quit the same company we were at like two year, one year prior. Okay. Um, somebody else was an old mentor of mine, and she had gotten fired about six months in advance, and so she had more of like the leadership and vision. And so it allowed us to kind of like come together as a collective, because if you're doing commercial interior design projects, like offices and hotels, you need a lot of people on the team to be able to okay. execute. It's not like a residence. Like you can be a residential decorator and do things, but with this, you need contract documents, you need architectural documents, permits that go to the city. It's way more complicated. Yeah, if you need other people's resources, so it's, yeah. it ends up being a team effort. Okay. It's totally different. So we ended up, I ended up launching Launch. Um, I called it Launch Design because Launch was taken. I did a DBA and I knew I wanted it to be Launch. So even then my intuition said, even though Launch Design LLC is my LLC, because that's what I could get in Houston, I, I did a DBA, which is doing business as, as launch, because I didn't want the word design in it. I did not want to be limited to the yes. word design. Yes. Oh my God. We're so, I still have the same LLC, but I did a DBA too. Cause I was like, I'm not having muscle in my LLC in that yeah. out right now. And people like, right. yeah, I love that so much. Okay. So, so, so crazy, right. How that connected. And so yes. I did that our very first month. Adrian, like look at like favor and abundance and the universe delivering. I get my first client and hit my first 10K month right off the bat. Huh. So what so so your attitude? Okay, so real quick, the attitude going into this was okay, I know I'm gonna do my own thing. And you were, you know, you went full in networking and all of that, but were you like I can imagine you were kind of like any kind of stress, any kind of nervous of whether it's not work out or like I don't know oh. when I wasn't stressed or freaking out or having like, 
heart palpitations. I mean, it was like breakdown weekly, if not daily. Like just wow. because the dream got born doesn't mean the inner identity of me was still totally macerated by the event, the firing event. I went into a depression. I was, I was having anxiety all the time. My self-worth was like at an all-time low. I was in victim mindset. Like, why me? Why did they do that to me? How come this happened to me? Why couldn't I just climb the corporate ladder? And it was some of my darkest moments I faced during that time as I'm trying to build this business Have and you, put, okay. on, put on a like forward face of like success and keep the ball moving simultaneously I was like falling apart at night at home mm. for months months mm. I, I was not I'm always a keep it real kind of person and the point that I got over this because I'm imagining you're gonna ask me that yeah I was just about to say like what, what was the shift for you? oh it was like a year it was over a year okay I hit over 100k my first year in revenue and that felt great like trust me oh, I yeah. felt awesome it helped my self-worth but it did not extinguish the inner pain that I had experienced, it didn't take away the insecurity. About a year and a half after the firing event, I finally, you know, I had done motions, I had done things, I had gone out to get help. I finally wrote two letters, one letter of forgiveness to my employer, the guy who fired me. And the second letter of forgiveness, I wrote to myself for letting myself stay in a situation like that, where I was being basically used being treated like a slave and putting all of my success identity into an external force. And when I did those two things, ripped them apart, set the thing on fire, that is when my spirit finally released. And I said, we're going to be okay. We're, we're going to be okay. Um, so in other words, you literally let things go to make room for bigger and better things. Yep. I had to step out of the victim mindset and say, maybe this all happened for my betterment. And so, you know, taking it back, I did interior design for exactly around that time, about a year and a half, COVID hit. And immediately I saw the writing on the wall for a luxury that's a nice to have business that is in person with people building things. I was like, commercial real estate industry is about to get totally destructed. And I hopped in on a $10,000 mastermind, which is the one that was a feeder to how I met you, mm. learned about the online world. So that was like, your first mastermind. Yeah, I didn't even that, know what it was. Oh, I didn't know you were just like, okay, you're going to help me. <laughs> no, I, I thought I was going to get a coach. And they're like, you're in a mastermind. I'm like, wasn't that a game, a board game we played when we were little? Okay. It's like a no idea game. what that was. Oh my God. The only time okay. I was on Facebook was to post pictures of my family once a week. And so they were like, oh, our, you know, your coaching is in a Facebook group. I go, well, how do I get to that? Where do, how do you get to Facebook? Hey, what's a Facebook group? Facebook what? <laughs> I, I had no idea. I had like oh, no idea. That I can imagine was. you putting yourself out there or because you do a lot of organic content. So I can imagine you putting yourself out there organically, especially for your business and advertising yourself. How did that feel for you? So horrible. I, I, I was like, you are a sleazy salesperson who you're going to lose all your friends. And what is your mom and dad going to think of your profile? Well, what happened? Mom and dad would call up. We saw your post. Why are you putting your revenue on internet? Somebody's <laughs> oh going, to come, somebody going to come to your house. They're going to kill you, Bijal. We don't like, let me put dad on phone. Dad. Hold oh, I was like, yeah. So that all came back and I had to fight that whole imposter syndrome and like, Oh, people, I'm not going to lose all my friends and family. But through that process, I kept trying to bring interior design online market. I go, you know, people are going to need home offices throughout COVID. I kept trying to bring that online and it wouldn't stick. It wouldn't stick. It wouldn't stick. Hmm. And what I kept seeing is all these online businesses and everybody who else saw the same thing in COVID and decided to start online businesses. They didn't know a lick about branding. They didn't know any anything about branding or the power of what it meant to have a brand that really connoted, uh, uh, or con yeah, I think that's a word. I don't know. Sometimes I throw in words, y'all. Nah, hey, we're just making it up or it's we're real. It Who knows? Really, Either way. Which really brings trust to your audience. They didn't understand the entire world of branding and how much that when you put out 
your logo, your tagline, how everything puts together, looking coherent across all your social media channels, that that actually makes you look like you've been in the business a lot longer, that you're trustworthy, that you're an actual expert in your field. Mm. And so I saw that opportunity. So I thought I would do a few pickup gigs, you know, like, like a comedian looking for their big shot. Like I thought, all I would right, do- let me just, let me just test this thing out. Let me test this. And I had a powerful meeting with a woman um, who was in our same mastermind mm-hmm. and she challenged me and she said, hey, Bijal, have you ever thought about just like drop the interior design thing and really going all in on the branding thing for like three months? And immediately I felt a visceral defensive reaction of like, no, interior design has been the dream. Like, and she goes, you, you, you can do whatever you want. It's, and she was a really good coach and, you know, a mentor at that time. She goes, you can do whatever you want, but have you just, I'm noticing that you're almost like white knuckling this and like, why are you squeezing so hard if it's meant to be a dream? And, oh, Adrian, she had me all twisted the next 48 hours. I couldn't, I couldn't give a good answer because I had fallen out of love of interior design. I didn't like the projects or the industry, even when I was in charge and I had grown out of that dream. Like I had done what I needed to do. But I couldn't believe that that was like the ending and that there was a new beginning. And she made a great point. She goes, you already said so yourself. COVID is going to destruct this industry. Nothing's going to come back up in 90 days. It's literally 90 days. What would happen if you went all in? And I was like, I came back and I said, you know what? You did make me feel really uncomfortable and challenge me like a good coach would. And I'm going to take you up on that. I will through September of 2020, try this. And Adrian, I've jumped all in. I've added business coaching to it because I'm so passionate and I haven't looked back. Oh, I love that. Now, real quick, I, I'm, I feel like we missed this part of the story or maybe it was blended into it. But how did you understand branding? Like, was that just from your interior design <laughs> stuff? Like you just understood branding intuitively or were you trained in it? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I don't actually remember that I haven't been formally trained in it until people ask me. So I do skip it all the time. So I didn't do graphic design in, uh, in school. So the majors that do branding are actually graphic design or marketing, um, and can sometimes be public relations. And I didn't do any of that, but I think through all those years of working with like fortune 500, I'm about to say you're amazing at what you do. So Yeah. Well, 500 companies all the way down to startups, we built their office space. So in order to understand how to best design a three-dimensional space for these companies, you had to understand their vision, their mission, their core values. How are you different than like your competitors down the street? You have so many. And getting to know the ethos of a company from the outside in and then designing a three-dimensional space so that they could break down all the silos between departments. Like each company was very unique, like a fingerprint, but they all Mm. still had five fingers, you know, I mean, or 10 fingers, like they still Mm. had 10 fingers. So you could understand the parts and pieces of like, hey, every successful company has these things in play, but here is where each one is a little bit different. And how are we going to make their office space stand out for them to attract clients to want to sign with them and also to attract team members to want to work there? And so I don't know how, like, I don't know. I I had an, an eye for branding and logo design when I went through interior design school, but literally if you still look at me clicking around an illustrator, like it's slightly painful to watch to somebody who's really good at their craft. Ah, uh, yeah. To connect it back to like the hotel industry when they asked me, how the hell did you do this? I think it's the same thing again, is that because I didn't know branding is why I'm really good at it now. Exactly. I was about to say, that's another example of not feeling um bounded by the idea that you need to be trained licensed certified i mean i understand don't go give medicine to call yourself a doctor if you don't know what right. the hell you're doing right? right but still i just like the idea of okay who cares let me stretch what's possible now one thing i ask a lot of people and i'm just really curious in asking you is you looking back at your journey so far? And really, I mean, you're just growing in success. You're becoming more successful and you're working with some very well-known individuals. So I can imagine you stop and reflect sometimes on 
your journey and what it's been like for you and for you to do it in such a short amount of time is like really impressive too. But what would you say has been your biggest lesson that hasn't only changed you professionally, but actually changed you like just as a, the, the human being that you are? Oh my God, you just want one? <laughs> okay, let's, let's go with whatever comes up right now. Let's just go just start listing them, but elaborate on each one. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to stick with an un, uneven number, like three. Okay. okay. All right. Um, the very singular first one is to live in gratitude. Hmm. To live um, in gratitude. And what does that mean to you? I know that sounds like an, like, okay, it says what it says, but what does that mean to you? What that means is what people make a common mistake of is that they, they count all of their winnings in one bucket and they count all of their failures in another bucket. And what I want people to really understand is it's all one bucket. Mm. And my dad always says this, that failure is a pillar of success. And I couldn't find that to be more true. And so when you look at being grateful for every single loss I have, and I still have many of them, and they happen frequently. I just look up, Adrian, and I say, thank you. Mm. Failure hits me, I'm down and out, thank you. Because it has happened to me so many times right now. Imagine, you remember the game Shoots and Ladders when we were little? Yeah, 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 I used to love Dude, that game. That and Candy too. I am a master slider down. Like I think it's number 82 is like the biggest failure slide that like takes you down to the bottom. I have taken square 82, like 500 million times. Mm. So is it, is it, would you say when you experience those downslides in your business, personal life, whatever, would you say that during those times you still can uh, experience that, um, that knowing that you're still good. Like, do you still experience that? And do you lean on that more than anything? I do. And I think sometimes, you know, it's great when your self-worth is like contained and you've really got it dialed in. But if you don't, I like gratitude even more because gratitude allows me to be grateful for experiences, for the challenges, for my failures, for my setbacks, for the people in my life and the circumstances and to be grateful for all the other wins that you want to forget about when you're down and out. I have yet to meet an entrepreneur who has not been kicked in the face with cleats so many more times than you can count. They are pushed down. They are down and out. It's why so many entrepreneurs have stories of being homeless and have stories of being bankrupt five times and stuff that's way, way, way more interesting and bigger than what I shared today. And I lean on the shoulders of those giants and I'm grateful for what the universe puts in front of me because I know I get through this next level and the brightest rainbows come after the darkest clouds. Yes, my mentor already says your best days come after your worst days and can't even tell you how much times I've just read that quote just like you yeah. better be right <laughs> like you better be right because this is getting crazy uh okay so what's another one <sighs> I think another one that's just coming to mind right now especially for like people who are looking to up level people who are wanting to step into that next identity is you've got to become really clear on the picture of who you want to be and I think Adrian you really support people through your work and where you're really helping people extinguish all those self-limiting blocks so they can like paint that vision the picture dream again of like who were you meant to be in this life like you're 84 let's fast forward you're about to die are you living are you excited are you like thank god i did these things or are you over there recounting your regrets well i know i'm not going to be recounting my regrets Mm, yeah. And so being able to have a clear idea of the vision of who I'm supposed to be, which is an eight figure brown woman who is a loving wife, a doting mother to two kids. I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to be a you are a public speaker. You already know that. 
on a bigger level, on a bigger level to where I'm a household name. And like I said, I'm going to inspire people to build wealth creation in their, uh, in their businesses, women, moms, and minorities, people who really need my help so I can help bring social equity to the next level. So my identity, it finally being dialed in really, 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 really helps. And I would say that's point number two. And if anybody needs help with that, they should hit you up, Adrian, like, you are so good at helping people stop all that head trash that we have, those self-limiting beliefs and mm-hmm. subconscious blocks and all of those trauma and shadow moments that we have growing up and really allows people to step into the next version of them. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And another thing I believe wholeheartedly is the universe does provide, I mean, does reward clarity. Um, yes. When you know what you want, it's like, it's like it's, it's weird when you when you know what you want and you're very certain on what you want. Um, it's like you give yourself permission to get it. It's like, right. You, you know, you're just like when you don't know what you want, it's kind of like um, you're just consistently holding yourself back from something that's there. And one of the things that keeps people from that is just the idea that they can't get what they want. Yep. And so I can imagine you're going to as you as you become that woman and continuously step as time catches up right i can imagine you're going to go through a lot more failures through your experience so yeah. if you were going through a fa- if you, so imagine yourself in that moment going through like a big failure experience on your way up what's one thing you'd like to remind yourself in that moment oh you're so good at failure like just keep going <laughs> <laughs> We got that down. We have, we have fought, you have fallen on your face so many times, Vigil. Like you're good. Just get yourself back up. And, uh, you know, that's a joke I use because it, it makes me laugh. And so it brings my spirits up because it's so true. It's so true. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, yes, I know. I, I always coach my students on this is I love when people are at that point of failure, where they're at rock bottom, when they are face down, booty up, as I call it, because you have the most leverage at that point in time. The only way to push is up off of that floor, back up and and ready to go run after what you really want. There is no place to go when you're rock bottom. And that is also the highest point of leverage. And is no accidents that the biggest set forwards happen after your biggest setbacks. And that is the reason. I feel like you just answered my next question, but oh, that was so good. Okay. One of <laughs> my last question for you is actually, okay, real quick. One of the last two. One is, I'm. this is like a selfish question I just have for myself. And I know it's going to help some people, but what are the one or two books that you have had made the biggest impact on you? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm kind I... of what's in your library. Yeah, that's a really good question. I have a few. I mean, I definitely have a few that are favorites. I think Psycho-Cybernetics. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I love it. You knew I was going to say that. I just, that was my, that was my jam. That was like my foray into entrepreneurship. Learning the subconscious mind, because I used to be entangled with negative self-talk. And so that's why I like to be real about my journey is like, I wasn't positive. I was negative. I wasn't all inspiring. I was always like, why not me? I wasn't living the ugly side of things. I was like, screw you, universe. You are out to get me. I was victim mindset all day. (laughs) Like that was me. So psycho cybernetics is my favorite. Um, And I second that one for anybody listening. That is a tremendously impactful piece of work right there. And I think I think the second book that I would say is Who Not How. Who, not how, because I'm not going to lie y'all that like that desire to have a little bit of a creative ego made me think I'm the only person in my business who could deliver a product. There's no human being out of 8 billion people who could do it better than me. Well, I can, I can tell you with utmost confidence, y'all, there are so many more people better on the planet than than I am at things. And that just resonated with me so well. So I need to get that book. And it sounds like my intuition is like, hey, check that one out. Okay, last question. And this is the one I was like, okay, I feel like she just answered it, but let's go ahead. If you had 60 seconds left in the world, okay, this was your last 60 seconds and you knew and you were okay about it and you were getting ready to give one last message, okay? 60 seconds or less, what would that be? 
I would tell people that it is time to step into the version of you that you know you were meant to be, that you've always known in your heart of hearts, your biggest dreams, that you were supposed to be this person. And I would get enamored with understanding who is that person? How do they live? What do they think about? How do they feel? Who are they surrounded with? What investments do they make? Who, um, who has influenced them to get there and do everything in your power to step out of the status quo that you're stuck in so that you can live to the, your highest and biggest and best potential. Because when that happens, when you take even the first first step, second step, third step, the very few first steps forward, your entire life will suddenly gain momentum. Success will be attracted to you. Money will fill up in your bank account. You will be the happiest and most fulfilled you've been. And you will finally understand the whole meaning of life at a completely different level that you can't see right now, which is what is keeping so many people stuck in misery. I want you to meet the next best version of yourself and go make that happen.